Please and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As Matt already mentioned, uh, last week I preached at Paramount Baptist Church, after which they did vote to call me to be their next lead pastor. And I hate goodbyes, and um, I am not going to drag this out week after week after week. So I'm not going to say any stuff about goodbyes this week or next week, and I'm going to save it for that final week. So I have three more Sundays to open the Word of God uh, with you. And uh, it looks as though I'm going to be able to finish up the book of 1 Corinthians, which is very satisfying to me that I'll finish the book of 1 Corinthians um, in two weeks. And uh, just so you know, my commitment to preaching through the books of the Bible um, the previous pastor at Paramount left at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. He didn't finish the book of Hebrews. So do you know where I'm going to start when I start preaching at Paramount? That's right. Hebrews chapter 12 is where I'm going to start. Um, we're going to finish the book of Hebrews uh, there at Paramount. So anyway, you've got your Bibles open with you there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read a lengthy section this morning. And I'm just going to let you know right up front, it's complicated. We're going to read through a lot, and you're going to find yourselves two or three times with your brain drifting. I'm going to encourage you to do the very best you can to pull your attention back in. Um, God's Word is profitable, um, and, uh, but parts of it are sometimes a little denser than others. The passage that we're looking at together this morning is one of those passages. It's just thick. There's a lot of content here, okay? So I'm going to read through it. We're going to read from verse 20 all the way through the end of the chapter. And all of the content, you'll, you'll notice, everything is about the resurrection. Okay, so just to set the stage, this is all, all of chapter 15 really is about the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you might say, um, the, you know, Resurrection Sunday is still a month away. Yes, but we're in 1 Corinthians 15 today. So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to start in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's referring to Adam, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then had his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every ruler and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. That simply means God is not subject to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God has put all things under Jesus Christ except himself. Verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Now verse 29, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? By the way, a lot of theologians and commentators agree that that's the most complicated, hard to understand verse in the Bible. Okay, And I'm going to explain it for you this morning. Verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. 
What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I understand this is one of the questions that was submitted in uh, the Sunday school that Matt's teaching right now. You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It means it can't perish. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, that's referring to Jesus Christ, the last man became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, Jesus Christ, is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That's us. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Are you still with me? I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be, will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye the la- at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed from this perishable body, excuse me, for this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, there's a lot, there's a lot in those verses, right? And just so you know, we're not going to get to every single little detail in every single one of those verses this morning. But, but Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and he's explaining the resurrection. He's explaining the significance of the resurrection, how important the resurrection is. And then he gets to verse 58. And the word therefore 
Remember when we see the word therefore, we have to ask the question, what's the, what's the therefore, therefore? Right? What's it there for? Well, it's tying everything that Paul has just argued, and he's saying, since all of this is true, verse 58. My beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Father, I pray that this morning we would see the significant, glorious hope of the resurrection that we get to live every single day of our lives in as believers. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. I think most of us know the story, the old Aesop's fable story of the grasshopper and the ants, right? No, okay. So here's the story. I'm not seeing any heads shaking. Um, so the, the story of the grasshopper and the ants is as, the, as these bugs are living through the days of summer, the grasshopper is running around playing and he's playing his violin and he's not taking any consideration for any day beyond today, right? And there's food to be eaten because the gardens are growing and there's water to be drank because the, there's rain. Some of you don't know what that is. Um, some of our younger people in the audience don't know what rain is, but it's a thing where water falls from the sky. It's amazing. It happens in places like California. Um, apparently, that's the only place it happens. Um, and the grasshopper, he just lives every day with just today in mind. But the ants, as the grasshopper goes and visits with some of his ant friends, he looks, and every day the ants are doing something very different. The ants are gathering up. They're, they're going, and they're eating enough for today, but they're gathering a bunch of wheat. They're gathering a bunch of vegetables. They're gathering other seeds, and they're storing these things away in their underground storage. And the grasshopper's looking at the ants, and he's thinking, why on earth would you take so much time to store that stuff away. Like the, the, the days are long and the sun is out and everything is nice. And the, the grasshopper and the ant represent two different ways of living. And the grasshopper lives with the understanding that today is the day that matters. Today is the day that I'm assured of. And so I'm going to live today with just the concerns of today in mind. The ants, on the other hand, realize that today is not the only day that matters, that there's actually another day out in the future that's more important. And so you know the end of the story, right? The first blizzard that comes that uh, later in that winter, uh, Mr. Grasshopper is a grasshopper sickle, and the, uh, the ants are cozy and well-fed down underground. A simple children's story that reminds us of two ways to live, but brothers and sisters, Embedded in this passage, in this chapter in 1 Corinthians, there, there are two ways to live that are embedded here in this passage as well. Like people still live like today is the only day that matters or people live like there's a day coming that's more important than today. And both believers and unbelievers can live with this mindset, right? There are unbelievers who live like today is the only day that matters and there are unbelievers who live like there's another day coming that I'm gonna get ready for, right? And they invest their money and they save and they store up and they're, they're saving for retirement or what have you. But a believer, a believer can live like only today matters or can live like there's a day coming that's more important. And this passage makes it abundantly clear that of those two choices, there is only one that's correct. In fact, this passage actually specifically mentions 
both of these philosophies overtly. This passage clearly states both of them. As I was working through this passage earlier this week, I was talking with Brandon Barrick about it, and he is the one who actually helped me see it most clearly. Look in verse 32. Look at the end of verse 32. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow. I think I said be merry when I was reading it. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Grasshopper or ant? Grasshopper. Look in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Grasshopper or ant? That's the ant. Right here in this passage this morning, brothers and sisters, we see very clearly that your understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ will significantly affect the way you live every day of your life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ will give you strength for today and hope for tomorrow. That's a line that I stole right from an old hymn. But that's my main point this morning, and I believe that's the main point of this passage. I believe it's actually the main point of the whole chapter, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ does give you strength to live today, and it gives you bright, expectant hope for tomorrow. And it does lead you to a life living where instead of just focusing on, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die, it leads you to a life that's lived of being steadfast and movable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. So my main point this morning is this, the resurrection gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And I think we see three really clear principles um, or ways that this passage shows us the significance of the resurrection. The resurrection gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow because first of all, it proves to us that death is defeated. Now, the song that we just sang had language in it about death being defeated and death being conquered. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is, is part of what proves for us that death is defeated. Look in, in verse 20 and 22, and I'm not going to read through every verse of, these, uh, of this uh, passage again this morning. I'm just going to point out some different things to you. But, but here in verse uh, 20, Jesus is referred to in verse 20 and 22, he's referred to as the first fruits. And, and then it's described as a seed later in the passage, it's described uh, as a seed that goes into the ground and dies. But when that seed goes into the ground and dies, that life springs up from it. Jesus Christ was, he came to this earth and he lived for 33 years and he died. But had that been the end of what Christ had come to this earth to do, there would be absolutely no point for us to gather together this morning. If Jesus had lived and died, then Christianity is done and he's no, no better, no stronger than any of the rest of us because we're, we too are going to live and die. But the Bible describes him with an interesting word in verse 20 and 22. He's described as the first fruits. There's a lot of farmers in here and it's getting to be that time Right here pretty soon in the next couple months where there's going to be a lot of watering, there's going to be a lot of planting, there's going to be a lot of seeds that go in the ground. I'm not a farmer, so if I misuse terminology, forgive me, okay? But the seeds go in the ground, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing that if you're a farmer and you've planted your fields and you've started watering them, you get a few warm days, that, that there is an eagerness in your spirit to see those first little green shoots 
shoot through the dirt and come up through the ground. And I can only imagine, right? I'm looking at some of my farmer buddies in here. I'm guessing that when you plant hundreds of acres of something, and then you finally one day you go out and maybe it's mid-morning or mid-afternoon and you see just the slightest little green green haze over the field that you think to yourself, yes, oh, thank God, <laughs> it worked, right? I mean, because you're aware, you can do everything just right, but it still takes God to, to, to bring forth. And, and I'm guessing from your perspective, there's no way to see the, the very first one, the very first one that shoots up right? When you're planting hundreds of acres, like it just looks like a green haze. But I think on God's timeline, he's aware that one, that one was the, that was the first one to pop its way up out of the dirt. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is referred to as the first fruits. Jesus Christ is the first one who rose from the dead. Jesus Christ was the first one to pop up out of the ground and, and when you've planted hundreds of acres and that first one pops up through the ground, you immediately go, okay, good. With the assurance that there will be, I don't know, millions of plants. I don't know how many plants grow on, you know, I guess it depends on what you plant um, and how many you plant. The first of millions of others that are going to do the same. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was the first fruits. He was the assurance that millions more who have put their faith and trust in him will too rise from the dead. If you can't kill your enemy, that's frustrating, right? Like the, to, you know, kids play video games and usually like if you play a video game, you have like three lives and then you're dead and you have to start all the way at the very beginning. Like, like you can kind of be killed in a in a uh, in a super in a superhero movie right like the if there's a, a hero or a villain who like cannot be killed it kind of becomes unfair brothers and sisters Jesus Christ sin and the enemy did their worst to him and they couldn't beat him he he won he's the first he popped up out of, the, out of the ground, out of the dirt. That first fruit is the assurance that there are more to come. Christ is the first fruits of those who would be raised. It's also, there's, there's reference in here regarding death being defeated. There's the language, uh, verse 21 and following, of, of the first Adam and the second Adam. And the first Adam is referring to Adam, the Adam in the garden. And the second Adam is, referred to, is referring to Jesus Christ. And so here we get a little bit of an explanation. The first Adam, he came and led us into sin and death. The first Adam led us down into death. The second Adam comes and provides righteousness and leads us up into life. The, the first Adam's life brought death. The second Adam's death brought life. Isn't that cool? I didn't make that up. The first Adam's life brought death for him and for us as humans because we follow in his sinful ways. But the second Adam from heaven, not from the earth, the second Adam comes from heaven and his really his life and death, now provide life for all those who are in him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and following says this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. All of us in this room have experienced 
friends and family who have died. Some have lived long, old, healthy lives and they live into their 90s and they pass away. Others die young and tragically. All of us have the heartache of knowing people who have, this passage calls it falling asleep. That's a very nice way to put it. We just call it dying. And brothers and sisters, if God tarries, you and I will fall asleep as well. And your loved ones will fall asleep as well. But there's the assurance that we don't, we don't grieve as those who don't have hope. Death is defeated by Jesus Christ. We who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise. Brothers and sisters, as you go and you visit the gravestones of friends and family that you know and love, you can be assured of this, that they will, if they know Christ as their savior, they will rise. What seems to have conquered them what seems to be irreparable, what seems to be a tragedy that can never be made right again. Listen, through the, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who are in him will rise again. Death will be defeated. Look, number one most important thing about heaven is being there in the presence of Jesus Christ, without question. But friends, you will be reunited with the loved ones who knew Christ as their savior. That's something to look forward to as well. That is a great joy. That's a comfort to my heart as well. Death is defeated. Verses 24 through 28 use language that describe really God and Jesus being in first place and subjecting everything else under the feet of Christ. The world that we live in right now, sometimes we're, we're uh, it's easy for us to uh, like adopt the false philosophies and ways of thinking about the world that are around us, right? And you've seen the, the yin-yang symbol, right? Like that black kind of comma-looking thing with the white comma-looking thing. It's in a circle, yin-yang, you know what I'm talking about, right? And people believe that that represents the cosmic forces of the, of the world that are at battle against each other, the good versus the evil, and they just kind of keep each other in balance. And brothers and sisters, while that may sometimes seem to us to be the way things are, the world is not yin and yang. I think yin is the black part which represents the forces of evil and darkness. Look, yin doesn't win. There, there is coming a day where it will be completely eradicated. There won't be a balance of forces of good and evil. Good has proven himself stronger and will ultimately completely prevail. There will be the absolute subjection of all things under Christ's feet. Look in verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've heard this verse really misused and abused. Right? The football team. They're getting ready to go out on the football field. The Christian school football team. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, don't, don't, that's, that's not, this is not a football verse. It's not, in fact, most verses that used, are used by football teams are not football verses. They're not football, this is not a football verse, okay? It's way better than football. This, like, fine, if you want to pray and ask God to help your football team, awesome. I hope you win, but just don't take a verse that's, in, that's intended to show us very clearly that death is defeated. Thank God we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let it stoop to a football verse. 
Let this verse be more awesome than that. Thanks be to God, death is defeated. Second thing the resurrection does, the resurrection gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow because it proves something else for us. It proves that our suffering in this world right now isn't wasted. It's not, it, that our suffering is sensible. Our suffering is actually sensible. Early verses 29 and following are where we start to see this. Verse 29. Now, here's one of the hardest verses in the Bible. And I'm going to be right up front and tell you I don't know what it means. I don't, I don't know what it, I really don't know what it means. Um, I haven't found anyone, any commentator that says this verse means such and such. They offer a lot of different explanations. Here are two that I think are viable options for what it means when the Bible says, what did people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Right? I mean, we look at that and it sure seems like it says, it, we read it and we're inclined to think, okay, I have a loved one who died and they weren't baptized before they died, so I'm going to get baptized for them. That's, that's what it seems like it's communicating. I think, there, I think there are two explanations that are best, at least that I'm aware of. One would be that there was some kind of ancient pagan ritual where people were doing this. They were trying to be baptized. Maybe a loved one had died and they weren't a Christian or a loved one had died and they hadn't been baptized and they were trying to try to smuggle some sanctification into the person who had died and that there were even some Corinthians, right? This is a young church with a lot of sin, a lot of knuckleheads in it like our church, right? And, and they thought, well, you know what? Maybe that's not such a bad idea. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll, some of us will do that as well because I do have you know, Aunt Martha and she, didn't, she wasn't baptized and so maybe I can get baptized for her. So, so some think that maybe there were some Corinthians who were sneaking in a, 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 a pagan practice. Others, others think that maybe what was being described here was actually um, uh, like this. Let's say that um, I'm an unbeliever and Pastor Will is a believer and he spends a lot of time um, communicating the gospel to me and I, I'm an unbeliever and he dies and after he dies, I get saved and baptized. And, and my baptism is on behalf of the dead. Will has, Will has gone before me. There's a hole in the church now. I'm being baptized into the church to replace that. Some, some would say maybe it means something like that. I think those are two really good explanations for a really hard verse to understand. Ultimately, though, I don't think that we have to know exactly what that means for us to understand the point that Paul's making when he says this verse. I think what Paul is saying is this, listen, everyone knows that there's life after this life. I mean, why would people be baptized on behalf of the dead if there wasn't another life to come? You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So regardless of exactly what it means, Paul, the point Paul is making is simply, you wouldn't be baptized on behalf of the dead if you didn't already know and you weren't already convinced that there was another life to come. And so Paul is explaining that here. And then, and then he goes on to describe um, in verse um, 
verse 30, and then again in uh, uh, 31 and 32, he's describing this, this danger that he lives in and the persecutions that he's experiencing. Regardless of, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 30, so he's describing this danger. He's saying, why would I risk all the danger I've been through if there isn't more to come? Verse 32, he describes being facing beasts and some think that maybe he did actually go in the arena and face wild beasts and others think that maybe he's just describing the hardships that he's experienced from other humans. We don't know exactly. But, but Paul is making the point that I wouldn't go through these things if I didn't believe that there was another life to come. I'm not going to give my life. I'm not going to suffer. I'm not going to put myself in danger. I'm not gonna go through the hardships that I'm going through if this life is it. In fact, verse 32, second half of verse 32 especially, in fact, if this life is all there is, then there is a right way to live in this life. Brothers and sisters, listen, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't true, then the end of verse 32 should be your theme verse. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't real, then you should get this one tattooed on you. This is a good one to get tattooed on you. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die, or the, as is put in other places in the scriptures, um, uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. If this life is all there is, then you better get as much of this life as you possibly can. It doesn't make sense to live for tomorrow when there's no assurance that there will be one. That's why Paul is saying, yeah, you know what? It makes sense. What do I gain? If the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And again, he's quoting um, from, uh, uh, from Isaiah when he, when he says that. And I would agree, if Christ isn't alive and able to rescue us from death, then I have better things to do this Sunday morning. We just moved our clocks forward an hour, right? I'd, I'd, I'd probably still be in bed. If, this, if, if 1 Corinthians chapter 15 wasn't literally true, I'd be in bed right now. That's what I'd be doing or something really fun, but I wouldn't be in here with you. I'd probably still like you because you're nice people, but I would not waste my time on a Sunday morning doing something like this. In fact, I'd probably have a different occupation. I, I would have a different occupation. I would be eating and drinking. I would find some job that let me like be a food critic. That's what I would do. And I would travel the world and eat food and write about it. That sounds fun. But brothers and sisters, the resurrection is true. And because the resurrection is true, we can look at the philosophy of eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And we can know, wait a second, even if I did physically die tomorrow, there's more to come. Because the resurrection gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And in one of the ways it does that brings us to point number three. It proves to us that believers, believers on the Lord Jesus Christ, believers are immortal. It's not just that Jesus Christ himself who rose from the dead lives forever now. It means that those who put their faith and trust in him, they too will live forever. That's a long time. 
And I'd love to take a lot of time to unpack, again, a, a, a theology of the new heavens and new earth. But let me just say this, and you can talk to my junior high students at DCA about this. But if you picture heaven as one big, long worship concert, right? You know, like Chris Tomlin is leading you, and you're in gold robes kind of floating in the clouds. If that's what you picture as the new heavens and new earth, if that's what you picture for eternity, you have a very skewed understanding of what it's going to be like. That's not what it's going to be like. It, it's, imagine Adam and Eve in the garden before sin, having been given the command, have dominion over the earth, bear my image, um, and be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over this world. That's, that's more like what the eternal state will be like than an eternal worship concert with Chris Tomlin. And Chris Tomlin's cool. Chris, if you're listening to this, um, I'm good with you. <laughs> I don't think he's going to listen to it. Believers, number three, believers are immortal. Because Christ was raised from the dead, you can be assured that you too will rise and have a glorious, resurrected, spiritual body. Now, again, we read through this, and some of, some of this, these verses are very clear to us, and some of them are a little bit more cryptic and a little bit more challenging to understand like what but what exactly is my body going to be like after I'm raised am I gonna have am I gonna look like this am I gonna shed a few pounds maybe like after the resurrection like what exactly is my resurrected body going to look like and and let me just start by saying that first of all it's clear that it that your body itself will be glorious this is hard for us to understand because there's better bodies and worser bodies in this room, but ain't nobody got a glorious one, right? There's nobody like kind of like walked in glowing and was just the picture of health, right? And you're like, wow, they're strong and they're vibrant and they're beautiful and they could not stand to lose or gain a single pound. They are just, they're perfect the way they are and they're, they, man, their skincare is just on point. I mean, like, like there's just nobody, right? Like in fact, we're all every day fighting against it. Our bodies will be unimaginably glorious. The, the terms that are used to describe our bodies here are really remarkable. Verse 42, it's, it's something that's imperishable. Look, there's not anything on this planet that we know of that's imperishable. Gold and silver would be close. But can you imagine a physical body that's described as glorious that's also, like, it's just imperishable. It will not fade. It will not slack. It will not weaken Verse 43, again, describes it as glorious. Verse 43, the end of verse 43, describes it as powerful. I actually believe that that means that physically, your physical, your physical spiritual body will actually be powerful. It will be strong. You'll be able to run fast. You'll be able to swim far. You'll be able to jump high. You'll be able to pick up heavy things. It'll be powerful. Verse 44 describes it distinctly as spiritual. Verse 49 describes it as bearing the image of God in an unfallen way. I believe we bear the image of God in a fallen way now, but we will bear the image of God in an unfallen way. Verse 51 describes it as changed. Verse 53 describes it as immortal. All of these words are used to describe this glorious physical body. And, and we can get some sense, I do believe we can get some sense of what that body might be like when we, when we read the New Testament and, and read of the, the description of the risen Christ himself, right? Christ 
rises from the dead and then goes and interacts with his disciples. He is able to eat. It, it doesn't, it, it's not clear that, like, that he needs to eat, but he is able to eat. He is able to be touched, right? He tells Doubting Thomas, put your hand in my side, put your hand in my, like, touch me. You, you can, like, I'm, he's a physical but spiritual being. It also appears that he's able to walk through walls or maybe even, you know, move from one point to another point with no time in between. I, I don't understand all of how our new and resurrected bodies are going to be, but brothers and sisters, it will be glorious. And we live in a world where we have sickness and disease and backs that hurt and COVID that gets in our bodies. I had a stomach bug this week that was no fun for about 24 hours, right? There's people who aren't here this morning because they're sick right now. Our minds don't work well. The older we get, the less well our minds work, right? I, I remember hearing a comedian and he said, well, yeah, I'm to the point in life now where I wake up in the morning and if something new hurts, I just think, well, that's with me for the rest of my life, right? Like my knee hurts forever. Um, that, that's, that is the reality of the world that we live in. Now, again, Jesus is the crown jewel. I mean, Jesus is the glory of heaven. But brothers and sisters, like, I, I don't think it's wrong at all to consider I'll be with my loved ones. I'll have a body that I can hardly imagine at this moment. Death will be defeated and will be there no longer. Do you see, do you see how good the good news of the resurrection is for a believer? Because we're going to suffer here right now. You are suffering and we will suffer. Life is hard. No one gets a free pass. But if I'm aware and I really believe that there's something better yet to come, that, that there is something that gives me absolute rock-solid hope for the future, then my suffering is okay right now. It, does, it doesn't make my suffering easy, but it gives me a foundation upon which to stand. It gives me a certainty regarding the future. All who die trusting Jesus as their Lord and Savior will be resurrected to an eternal life with a glorious resurrected body for eternity. Okay? So verse 58. And this is by way of conclusion. Verse 58. Brothers and sisters, there is an absolute certainty that things are going to end really well for the Christian. There's absolute certainty that things are going to end really well. And when I say end, by end, I mean the start of eternity. Like we think, man, I hope I can live maybe 80, 90 healthy years. Brothers and sisters, there's going to come a day where we're going to look back and that's going to seem like nothing. It's going, it, it, it is, I, I promise you of this. If you don't believe these things, then you are wasting your time. And if I don't believe these things, I need to find a different job. But I do believe these things, and I want to call upon you to believe these things for yourself as well. You will follow him. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've turned from your sin and put faith in Christ as your Savior, and uh, this morning, Pastor Matt in Sunday school did such a glorious job. I, the first 10 minutes of Sunday school were, the whole, all of Sunday school was great. First 10 minutes were so refreshing, so helpful as he reviewed the gospel with us and reminded us of the work that Christ has done to make those of us who deserved eternal separation from him, he brought us back to himself. If we will repent and believe, we can become one with Christ. You will follow him who was the first fruits to rise from the dead. 
He is now in heaven and he has prepared a place for us and he will come again and receive us unto himself. Friends, we will. Christ was the first fruits. He rose up out of the ground. Those who know Christ as their savior will follow him up. You will follow him up. But know that to follow him up, it will likely mean that you must first follow him down. You must follow him down at times in this life. Before, before Christ rose, what happened? He, he died and, and he was buried. And if you're a follower of Christ, it might mean that you actually have to follow Christ both in his suffering and in his resurrection. I mean, Paul says, I, I, I'm a, I, I have fellowship with him in his suffering. We want the Candyland part of Jesus, right? We want the escape jail. We want the let's go to the Disney World version of whatever heaven, whatever our mind pictures heaven to be. Like we just, we want the escape. Like life is hard right now. If I put my faith in Jesus, will I get out of this? Well, ultimately, yes. He walked through death and defeated it. And you and your loved ones walk through death. He walked through suffering. Paul here is describing his own suffering. Paul followed him there. The Corinthians followed him there. And we too must follow him there. Before there is resurrection, there is death. Before there is resurrection, there's suffering. Before there is Easter Sunday, there's Good Friday. Friends, no one escapes the downward path that this broken world dishes out. No, no one does. Believers or non-believers, no one does. But for those, for those who do not know Christ, for those who don't know Christ as their Savior, the path down that this broken world dishes out to all of us only continues down into eternity. And I'm not being dramatic. I'm not using scare tactics. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. This, for those who don't know Christ, there is only eternal separation from God in hell. Conscious, eternal separation from God. It's what you earned by sinning against him. But for those who will turn from their sin and put faith in Jesus Christ, to those who will follow Christ, those who have put their faith in him and have committed to following him, there is an upward path after the downward path. One, one pastor, an author, uh, describes it as the J-curve, right? We, we do follow him down in his sufferings, but for those who know Christ as their savior, there is an uptick. There is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we too will experience. Death is defeated, suffering especially suffering for the advance of the gospel. Remember verse, um, uh, the end of verse 34, he says, wake up, there are some who don't have knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. For those who suffer for the sake of the advance of the gospel, th there is, there is a, a glorious eternity ahead. You will rise with a glorified body and live eternally with God as the king. So since these things are true, since Chapter 15, 
of 1 Corinthians is true. Since the gospel records of Jesus Christ dying and being buried, but then rising again from the dead, since that is true, then my brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord. Listen, you can stand fast. You can in Christ and according to the, uh, you can stand on the truths of God's word. You can be immovable. You can be abounding in the work of the Lord. Even when it seems at times as though the work of the Lord isn't bearing fruit or even when it seems like doing the work of the Lord is the thing that's bringing the persecution and bringing the challenges, bringing the struggles into your life. You can abound in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not empty. It's not pointless. It matters. It is accomplishing good. The resurrection, brothers and sisters, gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes now with me. We're gonna transition into the Lord's Supper and sharing the Lord's Supper together here this morning. It's an easy, easy passage for us to transition into remembering the work of Christ on our behalf. I'll invite the deacons to come down and I think Paula to the piano and we'll distribute the elements here in just a moment. But just think about this with me for a second and how meaningless the Lord's Supper would be if we weren't assured of the resurrection. What would be the point of taking a little cracker that reminds us of the broken body of Christ and drinking a little juice that reminds us of the shed blood of Christ? What would be the point of that if we died and it was zeroed out and everything was black and there was nothing? All of this would be pointless. But the reason that this is meaningful, the reason that we can celebrate that Christ came and lived and died and gave his his body and his blood to redeem us from our sins, the reason all of that makes sense is because he was resurrected and we too will be resurrected. If you're here with us this morning, the Lord's Supper is for born-again believers, whether you're a member of this church or not. It's for born-again believers who are walking in obedience to Christ. And when I say walking in obedience to Christ, I don't mean that you have to be perfect. I don't mean that you have to think, is there possibly any sin that I've ever committed that I haven't asked forgiveness for? When I say walking in obedience, what I simply mean is this. As you stand open and honestly and transparently before you and God, are there sins that you're holding on to that you don't want to let go? Are there things that you've done or are doing and you think, not, I'm not ready to let go of that right now? Friends, if, if that's you, if that's in your heart, if you know, hmm, I know I need to forgive this person, but I am not going to do it. I know I need to make this right, but I'm not going to do it. I know, then you need to wait and let this pass and you need to obey God first before you celebrate the Lord's table together with his believers. But if that's not the case, if, you're, if there's not sin that you're holding on to, then I would encourage you to look inward and see if there's sin that God would have you uh, receive forgiveness for. The, uh, taking the Lord's Supper is often a wonderful time for us to do some introspection and to ask for repentance and forgiveness of sins. But if you're a born-again believer walking in obedience to Christ, we invite you to celebrate the Lord's table with us. And as these elements are being passed and as the music is being played, we just encourage you to express your thankfulness to God for his life, for the, for the life of Jesus, for his body and his blood, for his death, and for his resurrection. I'll, we'll distribute the elements at this time. <laughs>